WLRN edition 63 broadcasting in 3, 2, I was born woman off my knees I will stand for my liberation sisters rise again I was born woman off my knees I will stand for my liberation rise and Greetings and welcome to the 63rd edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, July 1st, 2021. This is Aurora Linnea, altogether delighted to introduce myself as the newest member of WLRN, unrepentant heretic and raging no-fun feminist. I will be contributing to the vital work of WLRN by penning a monthly column for the blog. Keep an eye out. This month's edition focuses on pride, the corporate gay tradition that keeps getting more and more male-dominated and male-oriented every year. We'll hear an excerpt of an interview Thistle did with Angela Wilde, founding member of Get the L Out UK, a political activist group that focuses on lesbian visibility. In addition, Julia Beck sits down with Thistle to talk about her new life in Germany after growing up and living in Baltimore, in addition to her experiences at the Spring Lesbian Conference that trans activists attempted to shut down this year. We'll also hear Sekhmet Shiawal's stellar commentary on why lesbians need to get the L out of pride to remain true to the pride we should feel as females. Like last month, we are happy to have a report coming in from Jennifer Billick of the 11th Hour blog on the current status of the gender identity industry. We'll play Jen's report right before going into the world news segment with Julia Beck. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here's Jennifer Billick with a report on the gender identity industry. Hi all, this is Jennifer Billick from the 11th Hour blog, with a special report exclusively for Women's Liberation Radio News. I report on the global gender industry at the intersections of capitalism, technology, the corporatized LGBT, and the medical industrial complex. What I have assessed is we are witnessing a global engineering project to deconstruct sexual dimorphism. This deconstruction opens markets out of already established corporate identities of sexual orientation. It manifests growing profits for the medical industrial complex through the promotion of unnecessary surgeries, wrong sex hormones, puberty blockers, medical supplies, anesthesia, antibiotics, anti-rejection drugs, surgical training, research, etc., creating lifelong medical patients out of young people with no physical ill health. Furthermore, this promotion of body dissociation in young people is normalizing the augmentation of the human body to make way for greater changes. 
The laws and changes to language we see being socially adopted for the tiny part of the population, though growing, with body dysphoria related to their genitalia does not make rational sense unless we put them into the context of laws that will facilitate other human body changes in the future. The acceptance of these changes to the human body, a forced evolution of our species, is being invested in by billionaires in tech, pharma, artificial intelligence, and the Human Genome Project, most with extremely close ties to global LGBT NGOs who are driving an ideology of body dissociation through our cultures under a banner of human rights. Particularly important to the social engineering aspect of the gender industry is the capturing of children's minds, solidifying for them the normalization of body dissociation as a normal lifestyle. This normalization is being implemented by global NGOs such as Open Society Foundation, Arcus Foundation, and the Gill Foundation with the help of Dentons, the largest international law firm in the world, and billionaire philanthropists. These entities and individuals working together <clears throat> have established guidelines which actually deconstruct sexual dimorphism while constructing the idea of myriad identities based on sex. These concepts are then driven into K through 12 schools. These guidelines create workarounds to keep parents in the dark about what may be happening with school curriculums and their children choosing to adopt dissociating identities at school. The curriculums are often brought into schools as anti-bullying campaigns to circumvent parents being able to opt their children out. These anti-bullying campaigns specifically for children with these newly constructed identities were brought in under the Obama administration who became the first president to use the word transgender in a State of the Union address. He hosted a youth summit at the White House for LGBT youth and called a meeting specifically for transgender students, earning the title of trans president. Was the President of the United States doing this for a minuscule segment of children in K-12 through schools that had body dysphoria related to their genitalia? If so, why? What is a transgender child? What is gender identity? And why do children suddenly have one? We the people need to stop accepting the premise of special sex identities and ask why these changes are being made. The market's opening in sexual identity and the profits being secured for the medical industrial complex should not be underestimated, but it behooves us to look at the social engineering underway to deconstruct sexual dimorphism in language and law and what the investments are of Goliath global human rights organizations, international corporations, banks and law firms, governments and politicians. Why are they allowing for the blatant collateral damage of women's rights and promoting the medical conversion of children who do not conform to sex role stereotypes? We need to demand answers. This has been a special report from the 11th Hour blog exclusively for WLRN, the original TERF Radio. That was Jennifer Billick with a report she sent in to WLRN for July's show. Thank you, Jen. Next up, hear Julia Beck deliver WLRN's World News segment for this Thursday, July 1st, 2021. 
This has been Aurora making trouble for men with WLRN. Thanks for tuning in. Hey there, it's me, Julia Beck, here to bring you the world news. Before we get into it, I'd like to take a moment to say thank you to the WLRN Collective and to all the women who have been involved since the beginning, and that includes you, dear listeners. This work is important, and I'm glad we can do it together. WLRN provides women with a platform that is not dependent on political parties or corporate sponsorship, which brings me to the first point of the world news. June is Pride Month, a time to recognize the efforts of lesbians and gay men who campaigned for decades to be recognized and protected by government authorities. Unfortunately, what was once a demonstration of defiance against heterosexual norms has now been captured by the very same institutions that uphold patriarchy. Even the rainbow flag, a symbol of homosexual celebration, has been warped beyond recognition. Nowadays, two diagonal lines of heteronormative baby pink and baby blue join at the flag's center to form an arrow that pierces and replaces the original rainbow stripes. Powerful corporations are using the colors of this new flag as a virtue signal to increase their profits without actually doing anything for lesbians and gay men. One of these multinational companies is Raytheon Technologies, a defense contractor that just made a weapons manufacturing deal with the U.S. Air Force. Another multi-billion dollar corporation jumping on the woke LGB blah 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 bandwagon is Coca-Cola, which allowed people to customize the labels of glass bottles with words like gay or bisexual. However, the word lesbian was not allowed. When customers tried to type it into the online customization tool, they received an automated message, quote, oops, looks like the name you requested is not an approved one. Names may not be approved if they're potentially offensive to other people, end quote. On Saturday, June 26th, a naked man entered the women's section of We Day Spa in Los Angeles. An unidentified woman took video of herself then confronting the spa staff and bystanders while women watched and cheered her on. One woman listening in asked for a refund from the spa. That video went viral on Twitter. And then We Spa Los Angeles received a barrage of calls, tweets, and emails in support of the women defending themselves against this encroachment of a man in female space. We, we Spa, so you don't, so it's okay. I just want to be clear with you. It's okay. It's okay for a man to go into the women's section, show his penis around the other women, young little girls under age. Your spa, We Spa, condone that. Is that what you're saying? Like I asked, it's so he so he could stay there. He could stay there. What sexual orientation? I see a dick. It lets me know he's a man. He he's a man. There's no such thing as transgender. He has a dick. Okay, that's traumatizing to see that. I'm a woman. How dare you sit up here and tell me I don't have a right as a woman to defend? I'm telling you, he has a penis. You got one? You're a man. Okay. For me and for a lot of other women, they do not feel comfortable, and it's not okay. 
So far, WLRN does not know the outcome of this incident, but we will continue to follow this story and report on any further developments. The Hungarian parliament passed legislation that would ban from schools any content that supports or promotes homosexuality or sex self-identification, also known as gender identity. The original intention of this law was to criminalize pedophilia. In Hungary, sexual activity between same-sex partners has been legal since 1961, and in 2002, the age of consent was set at 14 years of age. The current Prime Minister of Hungary, a Christian fundamentalist and authoritarian nationalist, is up for re-election next year, and this law will likely ensure his re-election by dividing the opposition parties. It's unfortunate that this law will also likely cause harm to actual lesbians in Hungary. In early June, a landmark case was decided in the UK that grants people the right to acknowledge biological reality. Back in 2019, Maya Forstadter had been fired from her job for tweeting, quote, men cannot be women, end quote. That year, she took her employer to court. In response to the case, many women, including world-renowned author J.K. Rowling, voiced their support for women's rights and for common sense. But in December of 2019, a male judge ruled against Forstadter, saying that her belief that sex is immutable and not to be conflated with gender identity was not worthy of respect, and that using the wrong pronoun can cause enormous pain. Forstadter then took her case to an employment appeal tribunal, which concluded that gender-critical beliefs, as well as a lack of belief in gender identity, are in fact protected by law. Madeline Groves, an Australian Olympian who won two silvers at the Rio Games in 2016, has withdrawn from Australia's Olympic trials, saying it should be, quote, a lesson to all misogynistic perverts in sport, end quote. This comes after a report by former Commonwealth Games swimming gold medalist Jenny McMahon. From hundreds of interviews with elite swimmers and coaches, McMahon's report found widespread toxic coaching habits that left swimmers suffering psychological harm. Dr. McMahon says the swimming world, quote, is a patriarchal, male-dominated culture with a guru fixation. It's dysfunctional, end quote. In reference to her choice to withdraw, Maddie Groves said, quote, if starting this conversation will save even just one young girl from something like being told to lose weight or diet, not going to the Olympics will have been worth it." End quote. In other Olympic news, Gavin Hubbard, a 43-year-old male weightlifter who goes by the name Laurel, has been selected to represent New Zealand at the Tokyo Olympics in the women's super heavyweight category. At the 2019 Pacific Games, Hubbard's biologically male advantage in strength allowed him to claim first place, denying two Samoan women weightlifters their rightful titles. Hubbard is set to be the first man to successfully colonize women's sports at the international Olympic level. On June 10th, Jolene Grover, an 8th grader in the state of Virginia, spoke at her public school board meeting to criticize a proposed policy which would grant male students access to female locker rooms and bathrooms at school. 
She wore a t-shirt that read, Woman is Female. And she told the board, quote, Your proposed policies are dangerous and rooted in sexism. Now boys are reading erotica in the classroom next to girls, and you want to give them access to girls' locker rooms, and you want to force girls to call those boys she? You do this in the name of inclusivity while ignoring the girls who will pay the price. Your policy chooses boys' wants over girls' needs, end quote. Later that month, another school board meeting ended in arrests after the superintendent of schools declared the meeting unlawful. 259 people had signed up to give public comments about school policies, like the ones Grover criticized, as well as the push towards adopting critical race theory as an educational framework. According to a report released in June by the Mo Ibrahim Foundation, as many as one million girls in sub-Saharan Africa are unlikely to return to school after becoming pregnant during COVID-19 school closures. School closures reduced girls' access to safe spaces, as well as sexual and reproductive health services, leaving them vulnerable to sexual violence, exploitation, forced marriage, and early pregnancies. School closures and lockdowns over the past year have also exacerbated the patriarchal practice of female genital mutilation, which has resurfaced in countries where it had been on the decline. During the closures, FGM practitioners began visiting people's homes to convince mothers that their daughters should be cut. Activists like Ifra Ahmed from Somalia and Lucien Ganda of Sierra Leone are working to fight back against the recent rise in FGM. Feminist artist Jess DeWall's embroidery work was removed from the Royal Academy of Arts gift shop in London due to accusations of transphobia this mid-June. On June 23rd, a week later, the Royal Academy issued a formal apology to DeWall's and her art was reinstated in the gift shop. The complaints against her came from social media users, who pointed to a series of tweets and a blog post DeWalls wrote in 2019, stating facts like, women are adult human females and sex cannot be changed. In the written apology, the Academy states, quote, one thing is clear to us now, we should have handled this better. We have apologized to Jess DeWalls for the way we have treated her, and do so again publicly now. We had no right to judge her views on our social media. This betrayed our most important core value, the protection of free speech." End quote. Of the apology, DeWalls stated to the BBC that it was, quote, common sense, and I am glad we are getting back to that, adding, I hope this makes other institutions wake up and take note, end quote. Women in 19 different cities across Spain marched in protest against drafted legislation which would replace the legal category of sex with the concept of gender identity, and which would criminalize anyone who defends the use of words like vulva and mother, imposing fines of up to 150,000 euros. Laura de la Fuente, the spokeswoman for Confluencia Movimiento Feminista, and 8M Movimiento Feminista del Madrid said the government has not complied with the feminist agenda. In spite of being the most feminist government in history, it is also the one that has carried out the least measures for women. A new chapter of the Women's Human Rights Campaign was launched in India with a webinar on June 13th. 
The country contact for WHRC India is Vaishnavi Sundar, director of the four-part documentary film called Dysphoric, which is available now on YouTube. If you're interested in learning more about WHRC, visit womensdeclaration.com, where you can read the Declaration on Women's Sex-Based Rights in over 20 languages, including Tamil and Hindi. You can also find a large collection of resources on the experiences of women in India on the WHRC India page. The Green Party of the United States National Committee, or GPUS, has removed the state of Georgia Green Party from their ranks. The decision came after prolonged research and a series of discussions and commentary around the Georgia Party's February 2020 decision to endorse the Declaration on Women's Sex-Based Rights. In their statement before the committee meeting, the GPUS writes that the Georgia Green Party exhibits, quote, bigoted, anti-transgender positions that violate the key value of social justice and equal opportunity. And therefore, the Georgia Green Party is not organized or run in accordance with these values and is in violation of GPUS accreditation requirements." End quote. The formal decision to permanently ban the Georgia Green Party from the National Party was made in a meeting of the National Committee on June 27th. The Canadian oil company Enbridge began construction of its Line 3 pipeline through Minnesota, a project fiercely opposed by indigenous environmental activists such as Winona LaDuke. Line 3 brings with it an influx of thousands of mostly white male workers staying in hotels and campgrounds along the pipeline route, often near native reservations. Prior to the project's approval by the Minnesota government in November 2020, violence prevention advocates warned that the surge of temporary oil company workers would mean increased violence against women, and indigenous women in particular, wherever these men landed. Lo and behold, they were right. Already, two of the Line 3 contract employees have been charged with sex trafficking, and one Minnesota Crisis Center for Survivors of Domestic and Sexual Violence says that it has received over 40 reports of Line 3 workers harassing and assaulting women and girls in nearby towns. Apparently, the oil company Enbridge acknowledges the tendency of its workforce to abuse women. Before construction began, the corporation provided Minnesota organizations with funding specifically, quote, to prepare for violence and trafficking, end quote, related to the pipeline. The winners of the 2021 Goldman Environmental Prize for Grassroots Activism known as the Green Nobel Prize, have been announced, and five out of the six to receive the prize are women. This year's winners include Sharon Levine of Louisiana, who organized to stop the construction of a plastics manufacturing plant that would have released millions of pounds of toxic waste into the environment. Another winner is Liz Chikaje Chere of the indigenous Bora community of Peru. Her campaign to protect rainforests and peatlands from invasion by illegal loggers led to the creation of the two million acre Yaguas National Park. Maida Bilal of Bosnia and Herzegovina was awarded the prize for leading a 500-day, mostly female, blockade 
to stop the construction of a hydropower dam. The other winning women were Gloria Magigakamoto of Malawi, who worked to ban the production of thin plastics in her country, and Kimiko Hirata of Japan, whose efforts blocked the development of 13 planned coal plants. That concludes WLRN's World News segment for Thursday, July 1st, 2021. I'm Julia Beck, and thanks for listening. You can share your news stories, announcements, and tips with us by emailing info at womensliberationradionews.com. I heard Cheryl and Mary say There are two kinds of people in the world today One or the other A person must be The men are them The women are we That was Alex Dobkin with her song, Every Woman Can Be a Lesbian. Next up, we'll hear excerpts of an interview Thistle did with Angela Wilde of Get The L Out UK, Lesbian Me Too, and the Wild Women Workshop. They discuss some of the direct actions Angela and her sisters have taken in the streets at Pride marches and the motivations behind them. Angela begins the clip by talking about how she came to realize the social significance of trans activism and the power of women-only spaces. To enjoy the whole interview with Angela, check WLRN's Facebook page and YouTube channel later on this month. The trans activist um, issue became uh, visible to me in 2012, where I was... um, involved in organizing a radical feminist conference uh, alongside Julia Long, alongside uh, Leanne Timmerman. There were, there were quite a lot of women in there. And it was a woman-only conference. It was called, it was called Radfem 12. And it was going to talk about um, transgenderism from a political perspective. And it was the first time I really, really heard about it. And we were picketed and we were deplatformed and we were... Uh, silenced we had to change the venue and then it was also the first time I was involved in a woman-only space and I I never experienced it before and then you know all together at that moment it was like everything made sense you know like you can't have a woman-only space it's men who call themselves women who are blocking you not MRAs you know just men who say they are women and I just thought wow it's got to be so powerful to be to create and to want to be in a woman-only space that they actually don't let us do it and there is all the stuff about transgenderism and it just kind of blew my mind that it was such an important thing to do. So since then I became not only a lesbian but uh, uh, a lesbian involved in activism um, and fighting for women only space and lesbian visibility has become a big. So there was this one in 2012. Yes, and- so in 2012 there were already kind of a, a 
a, a movement that was kind of emerging. And I think this kind of early conferences, they really gave a ground for, I don't know, maybe that's why in the UK we've been able to move because there was quite a lot already of women speaking about this. Yeah, and and you were able to go forward with the conference even though yeah. it was ticketed and and whatnot. And okay, great. And then fast forwarding to um, more recently, the organization Get the L Out um, was recently formed, and you were part of creating that. Can you talk about what was the impetus for the formation of that group? Well, it was really not an impetus for formation of a group. Actually, we were. We were just planning an action. Um, the context for this was in the UK. And uh, we was just a group of friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. at, at the beginning, if you want, there was an emerging gender critical movement in the UK and they were doing a good job in kind of bringing issues forward as much as they could, you know, but there was just not like, there was no lesbian visibility there. And we, we thought, first of all, that lesbians issue are really important. I think they are very central in this fight and they are also the ones that have been um, for us, I mean, we've been affected for years. I mean, you know the history of the Michigan Women's Festival. We know Janice Raymond. It's the same here. I live in Wales. There is a, there was a women-only music festival that lasted for 40 years and that, you know, uh, got um, th that stopped in the same kind of context as women, uh, the Michi Michigan Fest Festival as well. So, we we've known these stories. I mean, I'm in contact with. Uh, with some some lesbians who, who tell me that in the 90s they lost all their lesbian community through the transitioning of all all their groups all their lovers all their friends and i'm like you know all this has gone absolutely unnoticed from the mainstream from the straight world from the you know normal feminist movement even the gender critical movement do not talk about it so we thought wow there's really something happening we need to bring the lesbian issue forward we just um and completely separate from the gbt and absolutely yes but right. against actually you know as a as an opposition to it because we knew also we we have this understanding that gay men in the gbt are not only not our allies they are the one who facilitated the trans takeover the, the, they don't really think beyond does it give me an erection that's where it starts and ends with their politics so Unfortunately, we, well, we, we, we just knew that we were not able to discuss. So that's interesting. Not only is it separatist, it's also in opposition. And can you talk a little bit more about that? Because the group Get the L Out, in conjunction maybe with some other groups, have done these oppositional direct actions at mm -hmm. Pride events. Yeah. What's, who, who had that idea? How did you organize those? Yeah. How have those gone? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I want to say that we saw uh, the action that Renee and Charlie uh, organized in um, New Zealand, in Auckland, and they basically the same year marched in front of their, their local pride in Auckland with a banner that said something about protecting lesbian youth in the trans context. And we were like, don't wow. give, it said something like don't give lesbians um, hormones Hormone, or yes. something yeah. like that. Yeah. Something like that. And, uh, and we, I was like, wow, they, they, they survived to tell the tale. Like, you know, this is an amazing stuff to do. Maybe we could do something similar. And Sarah, who is also, um, uh, and get the L out, had the same idea pretty much at the same time. So naturally we talked and then Leon joined us and then we started planning and then we talked about it and then women joined us. Um, the idea was not to protest pride, 
In fact, I know it's, it's often um, portrayed in that way, but it was not a protest as in we were not discussing with Pride in London or the LGBT community. It was using the platform that was available to show some lesbian visibility, to show women in the LGBT community or maybe that were questioning what was going on or maybe even that knew there was a problem, to show that there was uh, some voices of dissent and to show just lesbian visibility because there's no lesbians at Pride at all. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really a male-led stuff. Uh, there's been a few reasons that this, this first, don't go. The first time you did this uh, Get the L Out uh, direct action protests uh, at a Pride event in London was 2019? or 2018. was it 2018. Yes. Okay, and you got a lot of attention. You got a lot of attention. And, and one of the slogans was trans activism erases lesbians, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. thought that was a very clever use of words. Um, can you talk about that slogan and how you came up with it? I I thought it was important to name transgenderism as an ideology. So it's not like I, I didn't want it to be like trans activists or something. It would have been too easily targeted. But transgenderism frames it as you know, the genderist movement. Right, and activism, it, it, I think the yeah. term was trans activism. Yes. Trans activism erases yes. lesbianism. Right. Yeah. Or erases lesbianism. I saw in one of the newspaper articles that you um, sent me to. And um, I, I, it, it, was, it was quite stressful to name it so plainly. Uh, you know, we were kind of discussing how much can we say, but, you know, I thought, well, you know, we're going to jump in front of Pride, so might as well be as open as possible, you know. <laughs> so that, uh, that was the idea. It was painted here in the studio. Right, and so, I mean, <laughs> get the L out. I, the name says it all. And yet there you are jumping into the Pride Parade because, in a sense, we want the tea out, right? I mean, do you see any value in LGB coming together? Or do you think it just needs to be, the L is its own thing entirely? I think it's, it's we, we're, not, uh, we're not to remove the T. The, LG, the, the, the GBT can do whatever they like. I think the L doesn't belong. And I think the, the fact that you see the rise of transgenderism, I mean, it actually the tsunami of transgenderism, the, the takeover, um, is a result of gay men's politics that have ignored, dismissed lesbians for, I mean, from the beginning, you know, from the beginning, lesbians issue are not seen as important, they are not seen as central, they are dismissed and so on. And so you get to that point where lesbians are like, something is happening with us and no one cares. And this is led by the fact that it's a men-led movement. It's not about gay, so you're, but you're, so you're, you're, really make a difference. It's just men. You're protesting the male domination of the LGBT movement, and you're in opposition to that male domination in the sense that you're going to crash their party, and yet where lesbians, to be visible, that's the goal, to be visible, but you don't want to be in the LGBT no, no, I think it's, it was more to highlight the, almost the irony that they put the L in their slogan first, but yet, you know, they don't listen to lesbian issues, they don't display any lesbian, you know, there's no lesbians in there, you know, visibly. I mean, no, on the website on that year, there was maybe one picture of a woman, everybody else was male, it was really telling. So it was, it was to highlight that and to show actually, you know, let's show ourselves, this is what a lesbian look like. Mm -hmm.
Also in the UK, um, Izzy, what's her last name? Bell, Bell, Izzy Bellstaff, is that her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. She um, organized a, a lesbian visibility march yes. that was that was meant for lesbians only, mm -hmm. and that was crashed by yeah. trans activists. Yeah. And and it was interesting to see how wasn't it the police that kept them physically distant. And well, so they didn't actually get to um, do what you did at the Pride Parade, which is you put yourself in the very front of it. Mm. These trans activists were not able to do that at the Lesbian Visibility March that she yeah. organized. So it, was, it was a Lesbian Strength March. It's organized by a collective, which Izzy is part of. And uh, and yes, the, there was a big contingent of trans activists. I have to say the police was not that great on that oh, day. Oh, they weren't. No, and we had to, like, we had a line of women between them and the march, and they were constantly advancing. It was quite threatening. Um, they were all right at the rally, but during the march, it was terrible. I, I don't think they would have allowed. I mean, imagine, you know, if you had an anti-racist protest and then a racist protest on the same on the same day, following each other, they would never have allowed that. And these people kind of claimed that they were part of us. And I think the police was a bit kind of unclear. But, you know, it and was... And what that. year was that? That was 2018 or 2019? It was after. And I think that was 19. 19. Yes. There wasn't okay. one last year and there will be one next year. There will be one mm -hmm. in September, I think. Yeah. Are there some examples in the UK of where the police do uh, cooperate with the lesbians and the women and protect the lesbians and women from the trans activists? Are there any examples of that? You know, for us, for example, for our action, when we did what we did, um, we were protected. We were protected because of the way we strategized. We marched at the front. So we were not protected by the police as such. We were protected by the visibility. The, the press was there. So it's a really bad look to have lesbian battered on a pride march. So they had to protect us. But apart from that, I'm not quite sure I've seen any examples. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that I feel like as time marches on, that'll be interesting to see how it unfolds because as you know, we had um a, a speaking event in Seattle yeah. that and the police were highly involved in that because trans activists were very visible and very organizing to crash our event you know um it was organized by wolf and um it was a series of speakers and the police were the seattle police were helpful you right. know? and i feel like that kind of set a precedent Absolutely. um which is a good one to set so i was just wondering how how it's been over there and i think uh, it really depends on the location the kind of flavor the police takes at any given place the relationship that you can have with the police when you organize i think it's very very different from city to city to be honest even in the uk yeah yeah all right so let's instead of talking about opposing patriarchy you know and these oppositional direct actions at pride marches let's talk about women's culture and mm -hmm the wild woman workshop and what that is and your vision of how women can create maybe our own society uh separate from male dominated society and maybe are you participating in some examples of that yeah i, I can i can i just just reframe a bit what you said because we don't see uh, our action as as 
protesting or being against. We see them as showing visibility. And, and I want to just mention that since we've done that, we've had countless examples of women saying, I became a lesbian after, I mean, I called myself a lesbian after, after the march. I call myself gender critical after the march. Uh, the fact that they've seen a lesbian sometime for the first time is creating women's culture. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. It's not about confronting them for the sake of it. That's just an excuse. Really what we want is to get women to see what a lesbian is like and, and just um, raise some awareness in that very simple way just by showing up. <laughs> Thank you for that clarification. <laughs> no, thank you for that clarification, because the little clip that I saw was, it, it seemed very confrontational. And I do think that there are some confrontation, at least over here in the U.S., at these pride marches when lesbians have gone. Not yeah. that the lesbians are confrontational, but there there's tension and there's pushback, you know. It's important how we, as activists, we focused it, because, yes, you know, you show it's a performance, you show a confrontation, but at the same time, you show yourself and this action were always aimed at women as I said we were not aiming to have a conversation with pride we were just aiming to have a conversation with women mm -hmm. who being there I've been speaking with Angela Wilde of Get the L Out UK and Lesbian Me Too and it's been a pleasure Angela thank you so much thank you Stace all so much it was a really lovely chat a and Amazon becoming brave and strong clearly and consciously you see be you're so dykey how you excite me how fortunate a female faculty oh gee I guess it's good for me H how heavenly I never knew how butchy I could be J for sweet justice K for sweet kisses You gotta respect your essential sensibilities. Between us is the tie you to rent empathy. Feed for vagina, the virgin. This is Joe Brew of WHRC and Feminist Question Time. You are listening to WLRN. That was Amazon ABC from the late great lesbian feminist icon Alex Dobkin. Now we turn to an interview clip from a conversation Thistle had with Julia Beck, lesbian feminist extraordinaire who speaks and writes about feminist theory and practice. Julia just made a recent move from Baltimore to Germany, where she is now enjoying the lesbian community that organized the Spring Lesbian Gathering, a successful and triumphant event, despite misogynist attempts at shutting it down. Let's talk about lesbian visibility. Okay. And what is lesbian visibility to you what does that mean and why i mean obviously i can see you you know and i see lesbians all the time on on the internet and the l is the first letter in the lgbtq wtf so mm -hmm. what is this what does lesbian visibility mean really well I, it it okay it means being able to see lesbians it means that lesbians are represented but it is more than just having the letter at the beginning of the alphabet soup. Um, it's more than just seeing us online or on the internet. Um, it means 
in the institutions of our society or our societies, um, in cultural institutions, it means that lesbians are represented there. So uh, it's not just online, but like in TV shows or in the arts, in um, portrait galleries. Um, it means in the government, uh, having le lesbians there, uh, representing other lesbians and carrying the full force of all of the rage of all of the women condensed to the point of explosion with them wherever they go in the houses of power um, in the portrait galleries on the tv shows wherever it means that lesbian concerns lesbian experiences um, are taken into consideration we have a certain perception based on our experiences as lesbians and we are informed by our experiences about the world around us and this information that we have is specific to us lesbians because the experiences that we have are specific <laughs> to us and it's very important that our needs can be met for instance, by government representatives or by teachers in schools, um, by community leaders. It's important that we are taken into consideration and we, that we have a voice uh, that if, not, if it's not us that could speak for us, it's another woman that can share our concerns. That's what visibility means to me. It's not just on the internet or in the blah 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 acronym which i don't give a two fucks about anymore it's well, that <laughs> how how is lesbian erasure happening in the lgbtq so-called community well i we need to look at the broader picture mm -hmm. we can't just be focusing on this alphabet soup problem there is a serious problem here i'm not denying it but this whole um this bowl this whole bowl of soup <laughs> exists <laughs> on the giant table right and there's other things going on and there's other things influencing this little microcosm the wider culture at large is exceedingly pornographic and i can speak from my own experience i did not want to call myself a lesbian in the very beginning because I associated the word with pornography. I thought it was a category uh, you know, that you could look online and see a video of women being exploited. In my mind, even, this was the connection. This was my understanding. And I have learned that over the last, I don't know, several years, pornography has been so much more readily available Men can watch porn on the street. Boys in classrooms are watching pornography and reading erotica in the classrooms. Um, and this is informing the way that people interact with each other. This is informing us about what lesbianism means. Uh, it's not what lesbianism really means, but this is the understanding, the cultural understanding. And so when we take this whole big picture into consideration, we look at this little microcosm of the alphabet soup it's very clear that lesbianism is going to be eroded. The understanding and the definition 
in conjunction with the erasure of woman, the word and the concept, in, in addition to the replacement of sex with gender in laws all over the world, in almost every um, country, we see this happening. So all of these things put together means that lesbianism as a concept and as something that can be clearly defined, it's being muddled by many forces. And so the lesbian erasure happens within this little microcosm uh, on, on every, um, at every chance by men and by male allies, even by women who would be lesbians, but they're calling themselves something different. Like the women I had hung out with in Baltimore city, when you're same sex attracted, but you call yourself uh, something like gender fluid or, or non-binary, it means you're saying that you're not like other girls, that you're not like, oh, those lesbians in the porn. It's, it, you're not helping at all by checking a different box when you actually simply fall into this designated category. I would like to see women re reclaiming this And it word. should be a designated discrete category. There are no male lesbians, but that brings me to um, some of the lesbian community that you've been en encountering and, and experiencing in Germany. Recently, you, there was the spring lesbian gathering, which is a tradition, right? It's been going on for years and years. Yeah. And the organizing group um, released a statement that seemed like it was trying to placate the the um, male contingent that you know was accusing the organizers and the gathering of being transphobic and all of that blah blah blah. Can you talk about lesbian erasure, like even within groups of lesbians that are like separate from the LGBTQ alphabet soup and how that's going? Sure. Um... Well, the Lesbian Spring Meeting or Lesbian Frühlingstreffen, it is very old. It's been going on since the 1970s and it's happened almost every year since it's, it began. Um, every year it's in a different city and every year it's organized by a different group of lesbians. So it's not always the same women. Some women organize it every few years and some women just do it once and say, oh, that was a lot of work. I don't want to do that again. <laughs> and it is a lot of work. Usually it's in person. Uh, last year, the festival was canceled because of the pandemic and the women were just not prepared to transition everything from in real life to online. So they just decided not to do it. So this year it was online. Women were prepared. Um, I understand this as an old tradition, like you say. In the beginning, the first few lesbian fooling treffen, uh, LFTs, they were organized out of a need for lesbian community. Um, it's my understanding that here in Germany, the, the wall was still up, uh, dividing East and West Berlin. And so in the West, it, the, there was the, the gay rights movement, the women's liberation movement, all of these movements and lesbians were being left out of the gay liberation movement. They're like, what the hell, you know, our, our needs aren't being met and we're tired of being around these gay guys. Um, 
you know, we, we do have a similar sexuality, but actually it's completely oppositional. So let's have our own space. In the East, it's my understanding that homosexuality was absolutely illegal. So um, after the wall came down, then there were um, LFTs in uh, East uh, Berlin and in, in East Germany. Um, later on, and I think this happened in more recent years, although I, I'm not an expert on this and I'm only sharing what I know from what other women have told me. Um, in more recent years, there have been agreements, binding agreements that every group of organizers must follow. And one of those binding agreements is that the organizers of LFT cannot exclude any kind of woman. And so naturally this is understood to mean that trans women, also known as men who self-identify as women or who call themselves women, that these men cannot be excluded. So we have a pickle. <laughs> um, a pickle in a dress. Yes. So this year, the, the organizers of LT said, okay, all right, we can't exclude anybody, but we can choose who we invite. So they made it very clear in the invitation. And as you can see on the website, they invite many different lesbians. Um, they explicitly invite lesbians who have detransitioned but they did not explicitly invite trans women who call males, themselves lesbians. Males. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they say they did not invite this group of people. And that was the problem. That was the big, big problem. And there were they some didn't exclude them either. I mean, that's what their language was. It reminded me of legalese, you know, where. Yes. Um, you neither confirm nor deny. And <laughs> it's a very difficult uh, uh, path to walk here when you want to have something for lesbians, but then you have to follow the rules that say this and that, and according to this other law and according to this. So this is how they went about it. How often will LFTs uh, discuss these rules? You know, you know, can they change through time? I'm guessing they could. They've changed before, and I assume they could change again. Because so, I mean, it would be great if, if they got to a point where the rule was you don't refer to men as lesbians. That's the rule. We don't call them lesbians because le the word lesbian is taken <laughs> by, by women. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, one of the difficult things about the, the rules here in Germany is that uh, you can change your legal documents to say you are the opposite sex. And so how can you be denied access if your okay. documents- so That's why, hence all of the tricky language, just hoping, but the thing is, is they they don't accept the tricky language. They want access and they want- They want the red carpet. They want the red carpet, <laughs> right? They want the red carpet. Yeah. So were there any men at the gathering this spring at all? Were they at the- uh, yeah, well, it was online, like I said. So mm -hmm. the organizers, the moderators, myself, Mahita and Zamona, we were all in the studio in Bremen. Um, it was a very professional setup. There was a whole team. 
uh, was led by this really, really laser focused woman. She's like, okay, you're on in five minutes, blah, 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 blah. And it was, it was actually really cool, but we had no control over who attended online. And yes, men were there in attendance at some of the discussions. And there was one guy who wrote an article saying that he went to LFT as an ally and he can say that it was just fine. There was no problem. But it's like, dude, we didn't ask you to do, no one asked you to do that. In doing this, you violated our boundaries. So how much of an ally are you really? Yeah. So yes, there's, there's all kinds here. <laughs> but I will say, in the total shitstorm that happened leading up to LFT in the few weeks, there was so much press that even more lesbians attended than we had expected. Oh, and the yeah. press. It yeah. Was, um, covering the fact that these men um, were attacking the gathering, saying that it was transphobic. That's what the press was about. And was it mainstream press or who, who covered it? It was mainstream press. And it was saying LFT is transphobic, basically. Yeah, um, but then that turned out the lesbians. Yeah, it did. Yeah, see, I think... I think it's starting to backfire. I don't think women, it's like, yeah, okay. You know, I am afraid of predatory men in women's <laughs> that have a rape record. Yeah, you know, I'm not phobic. It's not an irrational fear, but no, you know, like I am opposed to, um, I, I guess I shouldn't say that because I, I think a phobia is, is different than a fear. Um, I'm not transphobic. We're not transphobic. We're not, you know, irrationally afraid of men who put on frilly dresses and do their hair and makeup or whatever, you know? Well, it's not irrational. It's not a phobia in the sense right. that it makes no sense. It makes perfect sense. The fear that women have towards male perpetrators and male violence is totally justified. And it makes absolute sense in the world that we live in, just as the lesbophobia, the lesbian hatred that men exhibit and that other women exhibit too towards lesbians also makes complete sense when we look at the world we live in. Right. Lesbians are a direct threat to male supremacy because we actually yes. don't need men. I was hoping <laughs> you would say that. Yeah. Um, well, it's true. So we have no need for men. And that means men are useless. Oh no. And that is the most blasphemous thing that you could ever imply, let alone say. Yes. Yeah. So lesbian revolution. I got a <laughs> scarlet letter on my forehead. Yeah, it just feels like the times are changing. You know, they just mm. that thing just happened in Los Angeles at the day spa where the woman I heard about this that video it's it's awesome because it's like the men against the women you know she this lady comes out you know she's like in her towel and stuff yeah so I didn't watch pissed. it yet she's so pissed and she's got a camera and she's it's not aimed at her I, I, as far as I know she's like anonymous and she mm -hmm. comes out and she's filming and she goes up to the front desk and she's like there is a man in the spa in the women's section of the spa. This oh. is not okay. And the, the lady has like a mask on, you know, it's all COVID compliant and da da da. So you can barely see her and you can barely hear her, but she's just going 
transgender, sexual orientation, blah, blah, blah. You have to uh, acknowledge that he's a woman and, you know, whatever. And this lady is just not having it. And then you hear these other women and and everyone's gathering now in the lobby because she's making this huge scene. And this other woman marches up to the counter and she's like, I want my money back, you know? Whoa, wow. It's just like, you know, it feels different. It feels like women are not so meek anymore and they're fed up and they're they're willing to put their necks out there for each other and support each other publicly um and that if they call us transphobic like what happened in germany with this gathering then that's going to perk women's ears up and they're going to be like oh that's the gathering i want to go to (laughs) (laughs) i would love if that happens uh in the next years because LFT usually brings like, I don't know, 600, 700 lesbians from all over Germany and other European states also, or European countries. Um, Yeah, it would be wonderful if this is a a good publicity. Although I, I have to think of the organizers of future LFTs and I give them hope and strength in organizing something so big. But yeah, I agree with you. I see that women are um, less afraid to state the obvious. Um, I know that there was a, a girl in Virginia who talked at a school board meeting and she, she said the obvious. She was like, these policies are not okay and you shouldn't do them. You're and it was so nice. That. That's one of your yeah. Stories, right? Yeah, cool. Yeah, but it's just one piece of the pie. I I think this problem is just one part of the bigger, bigger, bigger problem, which is male supremacy. I mean, this is just one way that men are exercising dominion over women and dominion over children and dominion over other men too. Uh, Let's not forget the men. (laughs) I say jokingly. Right. um, Because it's really their problem. This problem of... um, invasion and colonization of women's every single space and women's minds is a problem that men have created. And it's a problem that men are responsible for solving. Um, I'm not here to clean up after anyone's messes. I'm here to just try to have a good life and try to help other women enjoy their lives as well Mm -hmm. and enjoy their lives free from the threat of male violence. From across the femisphere to women worldwide, worldwide to women worldwide, radical feminist media to break the sound barrier, break the sound barrier, break the sound barrier, break the sound barrier, radical feminist media to break the sound barrier. This is your, 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 your grassroots community radio station, your radio station, grassroots. This is your grassroots community radio station, women's liberation radio news. We've come a long way from the original pride marches of the 1970s. What was once a political demonstration conducted by an oppressed group aware of their oppression and brave enough to publicly challenge it has become a mainstream corporatized performance, a meaningless display of predominantly gay male sexuality as an excuse for heterosexuals and het-coupled bisexuals to act a hot, intoxicated mess in public. 
June, which is LGBTQ Pride Month in many countries around the world, is simply an opportunity for large corporations to virtue signal their fake tolerance and concern for homosexuals, bisexuals, and trans-identified people while attempting to profit off of their demonstrations. While heterosexual society in developed countries is marginally more accepting of homosexuality today than it was 50 years ago, it is nowhere near homosexual positive, and it isn't just the predictable right-wing religious heterosexuals who have always been openly heterosexist and anti-homosexual, who continue to hold firm in their prejudice. The self-described liberal, leftist, and progressive heterosexuals of the world, the ones most likely to attend a pride parade and post their alleged support on social media, are almost as anti-homosexual as their right-wing counterparts, just for different reasons, and in a subtler way. Pride has become, like everything else in our corporatized capitalist culture, largely symbolic without any political substance. LGBTQ people are supposed to be proud of their difference, their marginalized identities, and we're supposed to take heterosexuals parroting vague, toothless slogans like love is love at face value. Same-sex marriage has been federally legalized in many of our developed countries, so we're supposed to be satisfied and consider the homosexual struggle against oppression over and won. We're not supposed to be a political movement anymore. We're not supposed to threaten the heterosexual status quo, which is essentially the heterosexual male status quo, and we're definitely not supposed to have any kind of homosexual agenda beyond the gay male desire to have a lot of sex and peace and make gender non-conforming fashion statements in the streets during the designated time in June. For the last several years, major cities in the U.S. have served as examples of the trans takeover of Pride Month and Pride Marches, in the form of so-called dyke marches controlled by and centering heterosexual men in drag, claiming to be both women and lesbians. Openly anti-lesbian and anti-woman messages are on full display at these dyke marches and pride parades in general, and showing up as a lesbian woman with signs proclaiming truly pro-lesbian, pro-woman, and anti-gender identity sentiments will get you run out of the event, perhaps even physically attacked. Let me make it clear to all the heterosexual and bisexual women listening. Any man of any orientation claiming the specifically anti-lesbian slur, dyke, is profoundly offensive to actual lesbians. Men claiming to be lesbians is ridiculously lesbian-hating. The fact that the last remaining dyke marches in the U.S. are run by heterosexual men who do their best to propagandize to the world that real lesbians deserve to be hated and should all submit to rape at the hands of feminine men is the most disgusting, unbearable, rage-inducing turn of events any self-respecting lesbian could imagine and could have predicted in the era of genuine lesbian pride and resistance. Pride culture is no longer lesbian-friendly. That's the simple fact. The rest of the Pride acronym has no interest in making room for real lesbians and hates us as much as your garden-variety, church-going, Republican heterosexual does. Lesbian feminism, lesbian consciousness, lesbian resistance, even mere lesbian love and existence can no longer safely appear or play a part in Pride Month, Pride events, 
or in the LGBTQ scene generally speaking. The trans cult is aggressively, violently anti-lesbian by nature. The heterosexuals who claim to be queer because of their style or their kinks or their alternative lifestyles are no less anti-lesbian and pro-compulsory heterosexuality for women as the rest of the heterosexual population. The bisexual women are as resentful of lesbians who they feel superior to as women as they've always been. Bisexual men still want to fuck lesbians as much as heterosexual men do. The gay men categorically don't care about lesbian concerns, don't share the same culture as lesbians, and can't understand or empathize with the oppression unique to lesbians. To be a lesbian-identified lesbian, a lesbian who puts your own lesbianism and other lesbians first, is to be alone and on the outside of both pride culture and the LGBTQ soup. What does being proud of one's lesbian self even mean? What does that look like? What would pride as a politically meaningful and politically motivated event mean for lesbians? I think being proud of one's lesbianism means loving your own female homosexuality so much that you're willing to be open, out, and unapologetic about it. But furthermore, in this social climate saturated with the heterosexist concept of gender identity, lesbian pride means standing firm in your sexual, emotional, and social boundaries as a lesbian. It means saying no to heterosexual men claiming to be lesbian women and to the het women, bisexuals, gay men, and even other lesbians who defend them. Lesbian pride means putting lesbians first, above heterosexual and bisexual women, and above all men. It means investing your time, money, and energy into genuine lesbian community, into building new lesbian spaces and creating new lesbian culture rather than wasting those things on the anti-woman, anti-lesbian spaces, events, and culture of gay men and other non-lesbians. Lesbian pride is not about striving for heterosexual acceptance, tolerance, or even celebration. It is not about fighting for the right to assimilate into heterosexual culture. It was never about same-sex marriage or the right of lesbians to adopt children in their attempt to recreate the heterosexual nuclear family. True lesbian pride is recognizing our own unique nature and values, the beauty of our romantic love and friendship, the political power of our feminist consciousness, the grooviness of our sexual intercourse, and most of all, our right to be respected as living beings. Lesbian pride is something we craft in ourselves because the rest of the world will forever do everything in its power to destroy lesbians. Lesbian pride is not about going along with non-lesbians to get along. It's not about begging for respect and validation. It's sure as hell not about selling out to het men and bisexual women who feel entitled to lesbian identity, spaces, community, and attention. Lesbian pride is something that must be resurrected as an independent force, as a creative and revolutionary and pissed off force a force of female nature. Lesbian pride is the soil of true feminism, female confidence, female values, and female self-love. It goes without saying that lesbian pride is never gonna go mainstream. 
It's never going to be ripe for heterosexual corporate takeover. It's never going to get airtime in the heterosexual media. Lesbian pride, along with true lesbian culture, is always going to be an underground movement, a fringe phenomenon. Our unpalatability is the way we know we're lesbian aligned. We were never going to be popular lesbians. And we were never going to get what we deserve or keep what belongs to us without being the raging, man-hating dykes with a labrys to grind every second of the rest of eternity. So it's time to stop trying to sit with the rest of the GBTQ at the heterosexually approved pride table and pretend that we're all the same one big happy harmonious family. It's time we embrace going our own way and let the world know we're doing it. Thanks for listening to WLRN's 63rd edition podcast on male pride and lesbian visibility. WLRN would like to thank our guests this month for sharing their views and stories on the topic. Thank you so much, Angela Wilde and Julia Beck, for speaking with us on today's show. And a big, warm WLRN shout-out and thank you to our new listener sponsors, Nancy Manahan and Becky Bohan from Florida. They recently came on board to support the WLRN project with a monthly donation after being referred to our show on Detransitioning Women by a friend. Keep sharing our work, sisters, as we rely on you and not corporate sponsors to get it out there. If you'd like to join Nancy and Becky as WLRN listener supporters, go to womensliberationradionews.com and click on the donate button. Be sure to click the box to make it a monthly donation and voila, you are a listener sponsor. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, this is April No, signing off on another WLRN podcast. If you like what you are hearing and would like to get involved with our media production crew, we are looking for new volunteers to edit audio and video. If you have editing skills you'd like to use to help WLRN create the high-quality media you've come to love, please email info at womensliberationradionews.com to inquire about becoming a volunteer. Thanks for listening. This is Aurora Linnea signing off for now. And I'm Sekhmet Shiawal. Thanks for tuning in. Next month, we will focus our program on Thistle and Jenna's trip to the woods of Michigan for two different women's music festivals taking place this summer. Thistle will attend both Big Mouth Girl on the Land and Michigan Family Reunion, which draws hundreds of women to the state of Michigan for some respite from patriarchy, a variety of music and entertainment, and a little camping and sisterhood. New episodes of our handcrafted podcast always come out the first Thursday of the month, so look for edition 64 on Thursday, August 5th. If you'd like to receive our newsletter that notifies you when each podcast episode, music show, and interview are released, please sign up on the WLRN WordPress site. Until next time, fight male power. This is Thistle signing off on another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spinster, Overit, and SoundCloud, in addition to our website, womensliberationradionews.com. 
We are thrilled that WLRN's Emily Ann Lorenzen is making the trek to Seattle for the Sovereign Women Speak event, featuring workshops, speakers, and protest, all to support women's sex-based rights. To learn more about the Sovereign Women Speak event happening this August 20th through 23rd, and to purchase tickets, go to SovereignWomenCircle.com. That's SovereignWomenCircle.com. And this is Jenna. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender, loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. Thanks for your support. We would love to hear from you. So please comment, like, and share widely. But how will we find our way out of this? What is the antidote for the patriarchal kiss? shown and then after that where is home